This is First Fairgate United Methodist Church's podcast. Thank you for joining us as we continue our summer worship series, A Church Built on Christ, based on the book of Ephesians. And now, here's Martha with our message. Grocery shopping can be a dangerous thing. I'm not talking about shopping while hungry. I call that SWH. It's sort of a spin-off of DWI, obviously not quite the same risk, but grocery shopping while hungry can be risky, right? It's risky to our budget, but that's not the kind of dangerous grocery shopping I'm talking about. The kind of dangerous grocery shopping I'm talking about is the fact that we have to pay very close attention to labels. And I'm not even talking about dieting either, it gets worse. What I'm talking about is making sure that you get what you think you're getting. For example, there is such a thing called maple-flavored syrup. Not the same thing as maple syrup. In fact, most of our syrups are maple-flavored. You get all sorts of sugars and liquid cane sugar and a little bit of maple flavoring, not actually maple syrup. Then there is this thing called imitation vanilla. There's pure vanilla extract, And then there's imitation vanilla that has vanilla flavoring added. Now, those of you who are professional bakers, you can argue with me all day long on which one is better. At my house, it's imitation vanilla. I can't tell the difference. But the one that shocks me, the one that gets me every single time, is found in the seafood department. There's this beautiful display of seafood, big, thick tuna steaks or salmon salmon steaks and jumbo shrimp and um, what are those things called? Scallops. (laughs) Scallops. <laughs> all the, all the, you can tell I spend a lot of time in the seafood department, right? Just a complete blank there. But all this beautiful array of seafood in this beautiful case. But somewhere, usually just beside the beautiful case of seafood or to the right or to the left or maybe down below, is something called imitation crab meat. Think about that. How do you imitate crab meat? It's either crab or it's not, Right? Well, there is actually something called crab meat, and it's actually spelled, excuse me, imitation crab meat, and it's spelled with a K, crab. Here's how they make it. It's a a mixture of a white fish, ground up white fish, with probably some fillers of wheat or egg or that sort of thing, and then get this, it's glued together with meat glue. It actually has a name. The the meat glue has a name. I I can't even begin to pronounce it. But they glue it together, sprinkle a little red dye on it, and give a little fishy smell, and voila, imitation crab meat. Now, who among us is going to go to Chesapeake's and pull out this menu and say, can I have the imitation crab legs? The waiter's going to look at you like you have seven heads. You don't want imitation crab meat. You want the real freshly steamed crab legs that if you're lucky, you break it and you get that thick piece, right? It's not broken up. And you dip it into the warm butter. Nobody wants imitation crab legs. It looks like crab meat. It smells like crab meat. If you're hungry enough, it might even taste like crab meat, but it's not crab meat. Sadly, we Christians can follow a similar suit. We can look like what we think a Christian looks like. We can talk like what we think a Christian talks like. We can go to church. We can be our version of a Christian, but still be a poor imitation of Christ himself. In our scripture that Bruce just read for us a moment ago, 
the author of Ephesians, whom, whom most scholars assume is Paul, tells the people to be imitators of Christ, to li- or imitators of God, to live like Christ. We are about midway through, we're a little over midway through our series on the book of Ephesians, which is actually a letter written to a church start in a city called Ephesus in the first century. For the first half of this book, this letter, the Apostle Paul has been laying a foundation of who these people are to be, to be a church. That, that, that God is the one who called them, that God is the one who gathered them, who called them forth to be a church and to be a people of Jesus. He's told them that Jesus is the foundation of everything, that Jesus came to show us that God loves us, to bring us into relationship with God. He even prayed a prayer for them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit. For three whole chapters, the whole first half of this letter, the Apostle Paul laid out a foundation of what it means to be the church. Last week, as we got to chapter 4, he began to shift gears into what it means to do church, to do the thing, the work of the church. He was trying to get them to see that the church is not just what they do. Three whole chapters laid a foundation that it's not just about them, it's about God. We even have a song, those are, this is a kid's song day, we have a song that says, here's the church, here's the steeple, anybody recognize this? You open it up, what? There's the people. The people are a big part of it, yes. But what the Apostle Paul is trying to get everyone to see in his letter of Ephesians, or to the Ephesians, is that yes, the people are a big part, but without God, we are nothing. We cannot be the church of Jesus Christ. When we cease to forget, or when we cease to remember that our foundation is Jesus, we cease to be the church of Jesus Christ. So we got to chapter 4 last, last week. We got to chapter 4 where he begins with a therefore, meaning because you are called by God to be the church of Jesus Christ in this world, live a life worthy of your calling. And in our scripture last week, the apostle Paul listed several characteristics, live in humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another in love. He shifted from being to doing. The scripture we read this morning continues in the same vein, and actually we'll see some of the rest of the Ephesians, the rest of the book is very similar. But it continues in the same vein with a list of do's, however, this time we get a list of don'ts. For those of you who like to make lists, today is your day. If you have your, if you have your worship guide, your bulletin, there's a piece of paper on there, you can make a list of two columns, a don'ts and a do's. Today is your day if you're a list person. So he goes through this and he gives them a list of things to not do and to do, do. That makes sense. The first one, he says, put away falsehood. Easy enough. We read that and we think, okay, don't tell lies. Check. Got it. I can do that. But what about the false self that we try to project to others? What about the image that we want others to see and we hide what's underneath, the hurts, the grief, the pain? God knows about it. God would rather us be honest about it so that we can heal. So he says, put away falsehood and speak truth. Then he goes to anger. Notice he doesn't say, don't be angry. Anger is not a bad thing. What he says is, don't 
leave your anger unchecked. Don't sin in your anger. Jesus himself got angry. Jesus got angry once when he was healing a person on the Sabbath, their worship day. The religious people, of all people, it was the church people, the religious people that got on to Jesus for doing the work of God. And Jesus got angry. Jesus' anger was not misplaced. His anger was the result of God's love and mercy and healing being withheld. We ought to be angry when we see that. What Paul is talking about is don't let your anger go unchecked. Don't sin in your anger. Then he says don't steal. Easy enough. Check. I don't steal. I don't rob from people. I'm okay. Typically what we think. But read the rest of that one. He says don't steal. Work so that you can share. So that you can give. So that you can be generous. Most of us say I don't steal. But can we honestly say we're being fully generous, as generous as God would have us be? If we reflect on our pocketbook, if we reflect on our time, is there more to give in serving of God? He continues with his list to put away bitterness, wrath, and anger, and wrangling. Love that word, wrangling. Slander and malice. And be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving as God forgave. A whole list of do's and don'ts. Go home and finish your columns. For each don't, there's a corresponding do. But here's the thing. We have a tendency to reduce this list and others of don'ts and do's to things that we can do by ourselves, our own willpower and our own interpretation. And we often are the ones who decide when we've crossed the line. When we do that, we ignore the work of the Spirit within us. There's one don't in this particular scripture that doesn't have a corresponding do because of the all of the other do's fit this don't. And that is, he writes, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve the Holy Spirit. Grieve means to suffer or to cause distress. If you've ever lost a, a, a loved one or ever gone through a challenging time, you know how very personal grief is. When we view this list as simply a a code of moral conduct, we overlook the effect that our behaviors, our thoughts, our words, we overlook the effect that they have on the image of Jesus Christ in this world. If we assume that not abiding by these do's and don'ts only affects us or those people around us, if we think that's the only people that it affects, we overlook the message of Jesus Christ. And the image of Jesus suffers in the world. Do we view our treatment of others as having a direct bearing on our treatment of God? Do we view our treatment of others as having a direct bearing on our treatment of God? It's a bit of a loaded question. A question was put to me this week by someone that I had a little trouble understanding or a little trouble coming up with an answer. The question was this. When did the church become about programming? 
Programming is a word we use in the church to talk about studying and study schools and small groups and, and music and preaching and, and what feeds me is a, is a phrase that we hear in the world a lot today. So this question that was put to me was, when did the church become all about programming? This person said, Jesus was pretty straightforward. He said, love God and love others. Where did the church lose sight of that? It took me a while to answer that question. But when we view these traits as just a suggested list of rules to live by, we concoct our own version of righteousness or holiness or godly living or Christian living, not God's version. We, in effect, become poor imitations of Christ. These are not just moral checklists. They are the very things that keep us alive and connected to the solid rock foundation of Jesus Christ. I have a friend, kind of a friend of a friend, who's a bit of a daredevil kind of thing, rock climber. He's one of these things that you'll, you'll see something posted on Facebook, hey, jumping out of a plane in Bora Bora today or something like that. I live distance from that because I'm not that quite risky. But I've learned a lot about rock climbing. I've learned through a video that was posted once of him scaling a 2,000 foot wall in, in Canada that the, the rock has escaped me, the name of the rock has escaped me, but it's a 2,000 foot vertical climb. Apparently there was a drone that was filming this from a distance and from a distance, you first of all, you can't even see the people on the rock. But the closer the camera zoomed in, you could see the people and it looked like they were just, just scaling with their bare hands and feet. But the closer and closer and closer it got, you could see that they were actually anchored to the wall. There are these things called pitons. As they would climb, they would take a piton, it's a, a lightweight metal stake almost, and drive it into the rock. And then they would hook themselves up with these heavy-duty carabiners and, and rope and climb and do it again. As they climbed up this rock, they had these ropes of protection to keep them attached to the face of the rock to provide protection from a treacherous fall. These lists, this list of characteristics or traits or a way of living are little pitons that keep us firmly attached to Jesus. They are our lifeline in imitating Jesus. The further we get away from those little pitons, or the fewer we nail into the sturdy rock of Jesus, the more treacherous our fall. The constant danger that we in the church face is that we can get so caught up in learning about Jesus, working for Jesus, talking about Jesus, doing worship, work, serving, even witnessing for Jesus, we get so caught up in that that we forget our relationship with Jesus. Our connection to our lifeline is no longer nailed to the rock-solid foundation when we get so caught up in that. Paul didn't say, look like Jesus. He didn't say, smell like Jesus. He didn't just say, act like Jesus. He said, imitate, fully imitate Jesus. 
live a life of love and sacrifice and acceptance and mercy. The world is watching the church. The world is watching those of us who claim to be followers of Jesus. The question that we have to ask ourselves is what do they see? A poor imitation or the real deal? Christians that blend with the culture are often poor imitations of Jesus Christ. The question for us is are we living a life that Jesus would have us live? Are we a poor imitation or are we the real deal? In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. We have been joining our voices together in an affirmation of faith throughout this Ephesians sermon series on an affirmation of faith that is uh, borrowed from Ephesians 4. So I invite you to join your voices in response. I invite you to go ahead and stand, actually. Join your voices in response to the affirmation of faith, if you feel so led. There is one hope, one calling, to which we are all called. The hope in our lives is Jesus. There is one hope, one calling, to which we are all called. The call we must answer is God's. There is one faith, one hope, one Lord of us all. The Lord of our lives is Jesus. There is one baptism, one God the Father, one creator of all. The creator who calls us is God. We are one body, one family, one church, woven by the Spirit with bonds of peace. With Christ's children throughout all of this earth, we are one body in unity and love. Amen. As we continue in worship, you're invited to respond in singing. If you would like, you are welcome to, this, to text to give. Or for those, for those of you in the building, there is a box in the back of the worship center that you're welcome to give God's tithes and your offerings as we continue in worship. Thank you to all of you who are continuing in giving. You know the change that it makes in your own heart. It's not that God needs our money. It's that we need to be generous. It's one of the ways we experience and worship God. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us next week as we continue our series from the book of Ephesians, A Church Built on Christ. See you then.